Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. You ever ask the question, and I think there's a lot of people who have, the, the what if question. You know, what if? I ask this question to myself sometimes. I think about how I grew up. My, my parents divorced when I was 13, and my real biological father, I never really knew that well. He was in and out of our life, and he was probably married five times. He, he was very abusive to, to me, my older brother, my mom. And I always wonder, what if my parents had not divorced and had a great marriage? I wonder what life would have been like if that was what would have been in my life instead of what was. What if... Maybe you've asked this question, be it negative or positive. What if I never met my spouse? What if I could undo one thing in my life one day? What would it be? Everything about that? If I could go back to that one day when I made that decision or I chose to do that. Or what if you could change one thing about yourself? What would it be? Or I think we've all asked this question, what if you had all the money you could possibly spend, what would you do? Or what if you found out, oh my gosh, I've got cancer and I've only got three weeks to live. How would that change the trajectory of your, your day, your life? You know, the Apostle Paul And the book of Corinthians has a great Easter what if. He asks this question. If you have a Bible or not, just want you to listen from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll pick up his what if in verse 12. Listen to what he says. Now if, and this is his what if, Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ obviously is not risen, he says. And what if Christ is not risen? Well, he says, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are false witnesses of God. Our, our, Our message is false. It's not true if he's not risen from the dead. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ did not rise. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who've fallen asleep or died in Christ, well, they've just perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most pitied. In other words, if there's no resurrection and we preach these things, and we have hope in Christ, then we should just be pitied. But, he says, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. He says, what if there's no resurrection? Well, if there's no resurrection, then he says, our preaching, our teaching is empty and it's hollow. Why do it? Our faith is useless. We're just false teachers. We're not even forgiven. We're still in our sins. And we have no hope. But the Apostle Paul earlier in this chapter says these words. Listen to what he says. For I delivered to you, 
that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that would have been Peter. He was seen by him, by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. In other words, they're still alive, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, all the apostles. Then last of all, Paul says, he was seen by me, as one born out of due time. Paul saw a light. He heard a voice of Christ on the road to Damascus. So Jesus was seen by Peter, by the apostles, over 500 people witnessed him alive. There they were after the crucifixion, a frightened, scared group of people huddled behind closed doors. Confused, disoriented, Jesus had been taken, Jesus had been tried, he had been crucified. And then they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And listen, they, they became a group so bold, a, a group so confident that they were willing to take on the Roman and the Jewish leadership who orchestrated his death. They, they stood before them and witnessed of Christ's life and his resurrection. Why would they do that? Let me have your attention. The risen Christ changed their lives. That's why. And the risen Christ can change your life, change my life. I'll never forget at 18, not knowing the Lord, not knowing the Bible, being a high school dropout, had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And my older brother got saved, and he gave me a Bible, and he invited me to church. And the Lord had been tugging on my heart. He'd been speaking to me, and he, he had used all kinds of circumstances and situations in my life. And I'll never forget the night that I opened my heart and invited Christ in. If there was ever a pastor who would, would stand up here and say, oh yeah, I always knew I was going to be a pastor, that guy wasn't me. I was the most unlikely one of all. I remember even getting out of Bible college and was still struggling with, gosh, is this, is this who I'm going to be? And my own mother said, maybe it's not for you. <laughs> maybe it's not. I don't know. But I do know this, that Christ changed me, and he continued to lead me and guide me. It's, it's more than just a one-time experience. It's a life relationship where he gives you wisdom and guidance and direction and continues to change your life all the way from here to heaven. And perhaps today you're here, and you've never, ever received Christ as your Savior. You know the Bible says that these things are written that you might know you have eternal life. It doesn't have to be a guess. It doesn't have to be, I wonder if. I can't think of a better day to make a decision for Jesus Christ than Easter Sunday. To, 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 to walk down this aisle at the end of the service and publicly confess, Lord, I, I need you. You've been knocking. You've been calling. In fact, at the end of the service, I want to give you an opportunity and I'm praying that God would give you courage and conviction if you're here and you're not sure or if you're a prodigal 
to come home to Jesus today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central fact of the Christian faith. And I want to just take a minute and look at some of the people who saw him after he rose from the dead. They talked to him. They were changed by him. Jesus made a statement once after his resurrection to John on the island of Patmos as he was addressing a certain church, and I believe he makes that statement to people as well. He said this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hear my voice and open that door, I will come in. Now he starts that statement by saying, Behold. Whenever you see the word behold in Scripture, listen, here's what it means. Pay attention. Listen up. Lean in. Something important is about to be said. This is significant. This is something worth you listening to. So behold, and then here's what he says. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would open the door, I would come in. Does God really need to knock? I mean, he's God, right? He can do whatever he wants to do. Why does he knock? Why does, why does he give us this choice? See, after his death on the cross, he, he's in the tomb for three days, and he's resurrected. And one of the ladies that he had healed and delivered came to the tomb before daylight to, to bring spices and to perfume the body. She wanted Jesus to have a, a, a good Jewish ceremonial funeral. And she gets there, and there at that cave where it was closed off with a giant rock and the stone's been rolled away, and, and nowhere is the body to be found. She sees a man who she thinks is the gardener and said, where, where is his body? I'll take it. And this man turns and speaks to her and says, Mary, that was her name. And suddenly she recognizes the voice and falls to his feet and says, Rabboni, master, teacher, because listen, here's the thing. Mary was without hope. Mary was discouraged. Mary was all called up in this thing. I thought he was someone who could change me forever. And that day, Jesus came knocking. He came calling to Mary. And he comes to you and I, and he knocks and he calls. Peter denied Jesus three times. You know that story. Jesus had told his disciples he was going to the cross, and they would all deny. And Peter said, Lord, these guys, they may deny you. But you changed my name to Peter, the rock, Rocky. Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll stand with you forever. He goes, Pete, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And there in the garden, they arrested Jesus. They took him to Caiaphas' house the next for a trial. And Peter somehow makes his way into the courtyard, and he's warming himself by a fire. And the trial is going on. And someone, a young lady, looks at Peter. Maybe it was his Galilean accent because like people from the south, you know, like us, the Galileans had an accent. And, and somebody looked at Peter and said, hey, you're, you're, you're a Galilean. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? Peter goes, no, I'm not. I don't know him. 
And then again it happened, and someone said, hey, weren't you with him? Aren't you one of his? And Peter said, no. And the third time someone asked, and it, the Scripture says he cursed, and he swore, and he said, I never knew the man. And the rooster crowed, and he locked eyes with Jesus. And the Scripture tells us that Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. In fact, Peter was so discouraged, so despondent, that he convinced some of the other disciples to go with him back to the Galilee. They left Jerusalem, they left the holy city, and they made their way back to their old life. They were out fishing. And they fished all night. And the sun was about to come up, and, and they were out in the boat, and, and they see a, a lone figure on the beach, and a small charcoal fire begins to burn, and, and they hear a voice come drifting across the water. It says, hey, fellas. Hey, boys, have you caught any? And most fishermen who are worth their salt would have lied at that point and said, yeah, we've been getting some bites. But they said, no, we've caught nothing. Well, let your net down on the other side. And when they did that, the, the, the catch was so huge that Peter and John realized, because this had happened before, earlier in Jesus' ministry, and John said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter jumped off the boat and made his way to shore. And Jesus completely restored him and said, Peter, feed my sheep. Here's the thing. That day, Jesus came knocking on the door for Peter. Peter, I want you back. Peter, I know you, I know you denied me. I know you, know you turned your back on me. And sometimes we feel so guilty or so ashamed that we think, oh, I can't go back. You know, I can't do that. Uh, it, Yes, you can. Why? Because Jesus forgives, and he cleanses, and he restores. Maybe you've drifted away. Maybe you've made a commitment to Christ at one time in your life, and you fell away. You're a prodigal. Well, I would submit to you that he's knocking on your door today, and he's saying, come home. He's saying, come home. Like the prodigal who thought, well, I can't go back to my dad. You know, if I, if I go back, maybe I could be one of his hired servants so he makes his way back, and the father sees him and runs to him and restores him and kisses him and gives him a ring and sandals and said, my son who was dead is now alive. And Jesus would say to you, he would say to me, if we drift away, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. There was a time after crucifixion that two people were leaving Jerusalem. They had, they had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had all these kind of hopes that Jesus was going to restore Israel to its place of glory, defeat the Romans. But instead, Jesus was crucified. And they're making their way back to Emmaus. There's a great sense of gloom. There's a great sense of frustration and discouragement and defeat in their life. I don't know if you've ever been there, defeated or sad or gloomy, and suddenly a lone figure comes up beside them and says, why are you so gloomy? Why are you so depressed? And they said, are you the only one in all of Israel who don't, doesn't know what happened in the holy city? And Jesus begins to share with them from Scripture all the prophecies about him all the things that spoke of him. And there's a wonderful passage in that story that says of them that how our hearts burned within us as he walked along the way with us. And Jesus began to knock 
He began to call. Some believe it was a married couple as they were making their way home. He revealed himself to them as a risen Savior. They felt they had no hope. And maybe he's revealing himself to you today. I believe that that's his desire. That's what he wants to do. He, he, he comes knocking. He comes calling. No matter what your circumstances or your situation. He says, if you'll open the door, I will come in. See, at the end of the service, once again, I, I want you to be thinking about it. I want you to make a decision to choose what you'll do about Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Jesus stepped into the life of Israel for three brief years. Very public life. No one, the scripture says, ever spoke like this man. Astounded people. He was living around the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, back and forth to Jerusalem for feasts and festivals, holy days. And Jesus began to draw crowds thousands. Miracles would happen in his ministry. In fact, the very first one was at a wedding where he turned water into wine. And, and the story was that someone said, you know, most people give good wine at the beginning, and when people have drank for a while, then they bring out the bad wine. But you've saved the best for last. Crowds would gather on the hillside one day. Thousands came to hear Jesus speak. Thousands. And the sun was setting, there wasn't enough food, and the disciples said, just send them away. And Jesus said, no, we can't do that. One boy had a lunch of some loaves and a few fish, and Jesus broke them, the scripture tells us, and he fed 5,000 plus women and children with 12 baskets left over. And they wanted to make him king. But Jesus was a different kind of king. He wasn't going to be a political king. He healed a blind man once who had never, ever seen in his whole life. He touched and healed a paralytic and told him his sins were forgiven. He reached out to a, a leper that no one would touch, an outcast, all alone. Jesus seems to specialize with, with people who feel alone, are confused, are depressed, are, are like no one else cares. He cares. There was a woman once who had this internal bleeding issue. She was unclean in the Jewish understanding of what a woman was, and she was not allowed to gather with others, but she made her way into the city somehow. She thought, gosh, if I could, if I could perhaps just touch the hem of his garment. And she did, and she was made whole. His teaching astounded people. And yet the religious leaders, the Bible says, out of envy, tried to trap him over and over again. Perhaps you remember the story one time. They, they came up with a great plan. They said, I know what we'll do. We'll ask Jesus if it's lawful to pay taxes to the Romans. Because the Jews hated the Romans. And if, if he says yes, then they'll, they'll see him as someone they don't want to follow. If he says no, then we've got him as an insurrectionist. And we'll have the Romans arrest him. So a crowd gathered and one man stepped up and said, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to, to Caesar? And Jesus said, show me a coin. 
And he held it up and said, do you see Joe Biden's image on this? No, he didn't say that. He said, do you see Caesar's image on this coin? They said, yes, we see it. And they're all waiting. Now, what's he going to say? And Jesus says, well, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you give to God what belongs to God. And he was talking about your heart. He was talking about your allegiance. They were dumbfounded and no one said another word. Jesus spoke about God the Father as a loving Father. They hadn't heard this. They heard God the judge, God the rule maker, and he revealed him as a loving Father. In fact, Jesus made some astounding statements. He made one that sounded like this. He said, you could spend your whole life pursuing fame and money and fortune and end up losing your own soul. He said it like this, what would it profit a man or what if a man could gain the whole world but lose his own soul? He spoke of heaven, he spoke of hell, and he said they're both real. He talked about forgiveness, and he laid down his life on a cross to take your place and my place that we would be forgiven. Many said his claims were, were too narrow, they, they were bigoted, that th there's no way that these claims could be real. He would say at one time, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. You might hear that and say, yeah, too exclusive, too narrow. But it's a very loving statement if it's true. It'd be like if you needed heart surgery and by some divine miracle, I was the only cardiac surgeon in town. And you said, man, I've got to have this heart surgery, and I need it. And I'd say, well, I'm the only one. And you say, well, I'm going somebody else. Okay, try the vet. <laughs> A man came to him once at night because he didn't want to be identified with Jesus. And, and he came to Jesus, and he, he didn't know what to call him. So, so he said, you know, I don't know who you are, but I know you're from God, Jesus, because no one could do the things that you do except they be from God. And he was a well-known religious leader, this one that came to Jesus. And Jesus kind of read his heart, I think, like he reads all of our hearts, and he cut right through it, and he says, look, I know what you need. You need a new start. You need a new beginning. You need a second chance not religious talk, not doctrine. He said to this man, basically, you need to be born again. And then he went on to say to this man named Nicodemus something that has become one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the Bible. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You say, well, John, I, I'm not too sure about that. The religious leaders said the same thing, and they killed Jesus, and they put him in a tomb. But you know what? Right now, all over the entire world, millions and millions and millions of people are celebrating and worshiping the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? All over the world. 
Millions upon millions. See, our culture is at a place, it seems like, we, we want to keep Jesus buried. We want to keep him sort of out of the limelight. Let's, let's just bury him in church. Let Jesus just be for those people who go to church. Keep him out of our schools. We don't want Bibles there. We don't want prayer there. Let's just keep Jesus in church for church people. Don't, don't, don't bring him into the politics. There's separation of church and state. We don't want Jesus there either. We don't want him in our sports. Don't, no prayer. Let's keep him out. Let's keep him behind the walls of the church. Let's keep him buried in rituals and incense and stained glass and robes and crazy TV preachers. Let's just keep him there. And most people be happy for that. Or let's just make him a historical figure. That's okay. Or, or let's make Jesus a, a philosophy, a philosophy of life, not a real savior. But I believe that every human being, and I know this was my situation, even at 18 years of age, deep in our heart, there is something missing. There's an aloneness, or there's a guilt that we have that we don't know what to do with, or there's this fear. What if I die and eternity is real? The agnostics say, well, let's bury him in doubt. Let's just create this situation where nobody can really know if God is real. Let's just bury him in the agnostic philosophy. Or some just bury Jesus in neglect. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to think about it. I don't want to hear about it. Maybe it'll just go away. But he doesn't. Because here's the thing. Jesus says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I believe he knocks on every person's heart. And you'll either open that door or the scripture says you'll harden your heart. And every time you say no, the heart gets a little harder, a little harder. Some people want to drown Jesus in alcohol or drugs. Well, if I, if I just stay high, if I just stay drunk enough, or, you know, if I stay buzzed enough, then I'm not going to worry about anything. And they bury Jesus that way. But the heart is desperate. And here's the reality. Here's the truth. He comes over and over and over again because that's who he is. And he says, behold, listen up, lean in, significant I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And this is what he says, if anyone, anyone, if anyone hears my voice, I will come in. That's what happened to me at 18. I was deeply involved in the surf culture. My brother was a pro surfer. I was a high school dropout, broken home, abusive dad. Had no hope for the future. Didn't know what in the world. I just guess I'll keep surfing. I don't know. Use drugs. What, what? And Jesus came knocking. And at first I thought, this is, this is dumb church. I'm not going to go to church. Why did they even have churches? That's what I couldn't understand. People go in there and sit and listen to some guy talk. But Jesus came calling. I could sense it. I didn't know really what was going on, but, but I started reading the Bible that my brother gave me, and I went to church, and you know what happened? Jesus knocked. I opened the door, 
And now I have this understanding, not just that I, I have eternity before me and it's secure, but I have this relationship where he guides and he leads and he gives wisdom and forgiveness when I fall and fail. It's not just a one-time thing. And this verse that, that became my life, First, Second Corinthians 5.17, is this, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And I would submit to you that's true, and it's real. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about churchianity or a philosophy. And, and this is part of the story. No one can open the door for you but you. He stands at the door individually. And God will not force himself on anyone. You have to receive. You have to open the door. He gives you a choice because we all know this. Each of us have a free will. We do what we want to do. But he gives you a choice. That's why he stands. That's why he knocks. And that's why he says, if anyone would open the door. You might be here today and you say, well, I'm too old. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. To that I respond, you're not a dog and this is not a trick. <laughs> this is Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Well, I'm too young. I, I got my whole life in front of me. I don't want to get bogged down with rules and regulations and, and not be able to do those things I want to do. This is not rules. This is not regulations. This is a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I stand at the door and I knock. Well, John, I've tried that. I'm not a good church person. This is not about church. This is about you making a relationship and a decision with Jesus Christ because Jesus said it this way. If anyone, anyone, hear my voice and open up the door, I will come in. Well, I, I tried that before. It, it didn't work for me. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't live it. I, I'm just not able to, to live that kind of Christian life. Well, that's what I thought. I tried to make a life change every, every new year. You know, okay, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to live this way. And it never worked until I opened the door. Well, I can't get my head around it, John. I can't figure it all out. Jesus didn't ask you to figure it out. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in, and then you'll begin to figure it out. I never I didn't know the Bible from, you know, upside down or straight when I first came to the Lord. I, watched, what? I don't know anything about the Bible. But after 40 years of pastoring a church, I know a little bit about the Bible now. And I also know this. It's not a game. It's not a gimmick. It's not a trick. It's not extremism. It's not religion. It's not churchianity. Here's what it is. It's being forgiven. It's being invited into a relationship. And it's a brand new start with Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 
Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel. 